Amen. It's coming. It's a work in progress. So are you. So am I. Love, we said last week, is a command. We said there is an inner compulsion of the spirit. And we said we need to be contrite because we need to be honest before God. I'm going to say a word and I'm going to do some theological word association for 30 seconds, I want you to tell me what comes into your mind when I say the word. I've already done this with my wife on Monday morning, but not everybody, but just a representative representative group. Godliness. What's the first word that comes into your mind? Shout out loud because I can't hear unless you... Purity. I've heard that one, yes? Again? Holiness, yes. Cleanliness. Jesus. And we could go on. Because in a sense the whole gospel is encapsulated in that one word. Fascinating. The word never occurs in Paul's writings. Never once. Discovered that in my research. Never once. Does occur in the gospels does occur in the pastoral epistles. Peter, that's why we read from Peter. And the word is Eusebia. Not Eusebio, he was a very, very exciting Portuguese center forward, which Dave and I both remember, and one or two others, yes. Even our pastor's old enough to remember Eusebio. Saw him play for Portugal at Goodison Park. Not Eusebio. Eusebia. Will you accept as a working hypothesis for the impossible task I've got that if we're going to talk about godliness, we're going to talk about being like Jesus? Right? Does that sound realistic and reasonable? There's so much more you could say, and I could keep you here for several hours, but we've got 25 minutes. We're to be like Jesus in our words... Words matter, despite what I said last week about the only thing that matters is what you do. Here's the correction. What you say is also important. But what you do is vital. So your words, your work, and your walk, and your walk rises out of your attitudes. So we're going to talk about being like Jesus. And the only way I could come to this was to come up with seven things that immediately came to me when I thought about being like Jesus. I'm not even claiming that these are necessarily the most important. You can reflect on that. That's part of your homework. But I am saying these are important. Number one. If we're going to be like Jesus, if Jesus is our model, and we're going to exemplify in our words and our works and our actions godliness, then can I suggest, and you're going to need to think about this one deeply, not now, because we'll have to skate over it. You're going to need to be incarnational in your thinking, 
and in your acting. God became man. Yes? Isn't that the heart of the gospel? God, in the beginning, the word was God, and God became flesh and drew near to us. We saw his glory, and we saw his truth. So in your living, in your living and in my living, you need to be incarnational. Now that impacts on what we do at church, but it impacts on the fact that fundamentally the gospel's about being sent to go and say and do and be something, not about inviting people. Of course, that has its place. Don't think I'm speaking against that far from it. But Jesus modeled in coming to this horribly mangled world what God is like. He came. And you're actually not coming, you're being sent. According to Matthew's gospel at the end, all authority and power has been given and you're being sent to the four corners of the world. Now that may not take you much further than Bridge North, but it will take you somewhere to be incarnate. If I was with a group of theological training students, I think I might say something heretical like, you are another incarnation of God. And as I say it, I know how dangerous that word is in isolation. But if the Holy Spirit lives in you and in me, are you not another incarnation of God? Now, please, don't take that over literally. I'm just wanting you to think about the truth of that. Because what people see and hear and understand about the gospel is what they will understand from you, through you, by your actions, by my actions. Your neighbors, your friends, your family. And that's one of the most challenging ones. Of course, the corresponding balance that you get in scripture is that we're to be in the world but not like it and not of it. There's a wonderful German technical word for feeling the pain of this broken world. And listen, if you've had your television on at all this week, and I know I'm a little bit of a news addict, it's a broken, messed up world, isn't it? If it's not a hurricane in the United States, it's someone who believes they're doing God's will by blowing people up. How messed up can a world be and how muddled but that's the world you're sent to that's the world I'm sent to so please you're called to be godly people you're called to be like Jesus you're called to be incarnate secondly and you can go into John 10 or John 5 and you'll recognize this and again I'm doing this superficial justice I know you are called to be obedient to the father Jesus said in chapter 5 of John's Gospel, verse 19, that whatever the Father says and does, he copies. Right? So your homework for the week, and mine, is just that. Whatever Father God says to you, and he will speak to you if you're listening, because his Holy Spirit dwells within you, if you're his. You've got to go and do it. 
which begs the question, do you recognize God's voice? My sheep hear my voice. So do I hear God's voice? Well, that maybe isn't quite the question. The more important question is hearing God's voice, do I obey it? Whatever that means. And I'm not pleased putting guilt on anybody this morning. I'm simply imploring you and offering you this insight from God's word that if we're going to be godly people, we need to be obedient to the Father. And you need to recognize his voice. Thirdly, he modeled servanthood. John, John 13. In fact, it's just worth, I think we have time, just to turn to read a verse or two of that because I remember being a missionary in West Africa, in Nigeria, and one of our single ladies, her toilet had got totally blocked and it was the cesspit variety and we had done all the various traditional things you do for unblocking toilets with no joy and I have absolutely no sense of smell there's something you didn't know about me some of you absolutely no sense of smell whether that's because I had my tonsils and adenoids yanked out on the kitchen table when I was three I don't know it was before the national health started taking you to hospital to do it. I have no sense of smell. So Muggins here said, okay, I'll deal with it. And so if you can picture me with my head down the toilet and my arms stuck right round the bend, and Jean Zoop still thinks I'm a saint for doing it, but frankly it had to be done because the smell was getting very pervasive, people said. Someone came up to me at the end and said this, and I could hardly believe it was a fellow missionary who said to me, we've got Nigerians to do jobs like that. Right? And I hadn't ever thought, and please, I'm not making myself grand, I'm just using an illustration that you'll probably all go away and think of me with my head and my arms stuck around a U-bend. But the point is simply this. We're meant to model servanthood. Listen to John 13 just to put it in a totally different context. It was just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. He now showed them the full extent of his love. And you know what he did? He began to wash their feet which in their days was the work of the very, very lowest servant in the house. Not an issue for me, because smell is something I miss out completely, but you don't need me to explain to you that that is a menial, messy, smelly job. In a, way, in a really hot country, even more so. Someone ought to have been doing that. But Jesus modeled it. You're going to be godlike. Yeah, you need to be incarnate in whatever way God tells you to be. You need to be obedient, but you need to model being a servant. All of us. Servants. 
fourthly, you need to be a visionary. Do you believe that people can change? Well, you have nothing else to say if you don't believe that. If you can't believe that people can change, then you've got nothing to say. Jesus uniquely understood and was committed to a visionary understanding. His, His primary task, apart from dying, which was so profound, his primary task was to train 12 mere men and to model and to show them what being part of the kingdom, being incarnate in him, ultimately when the Spirit came upon them, was to be all about. I read a fascinating book, quite an in-depth theological book once, and one of the quite learned professors had a, it was all said in very convoluted theological language, but he said, if I had been Jesus, I wouldn't have chosen those 12 And listen, there are moments when I wonder why God chose me. Kid from a snotty-nosed background in Birkenhead, real lower working class. And then God broke into our family and then God broke into my life. Why? Why? Well, it's about grace and we know all of that. And you hear that eloquently expounded here Sunday by Sunday. But Jesus believes in potentiality in you. And you haven't reached it yet. And I don't mind how old you are. I don't mind how old you are. You haven't reached the goal yet. And I've been on the way 60 years now. As near as makes no difference. Disciple of about Zacchaeus. What about the woman at the well? The local little harlot. Well, maybe a little bit strong. She certainly had a a checkered history. Jesus went out of his way to cross all the cultural and religious barriers to speak to her because he believed that this woman could change. And if you're going to be godlike, you are going to have to believe, because it's an insight that the Holy Spirit gives, that people can change. You need to be visionary. You need to understand that what you do for and with people can lead change. I remember recently, one of my students who is sadly, well, sadly died somewhat prematurely, is in heaven now, and I went up to uh, speak at a, at a meeting. This is up on Merseyside. <coughs> Excuse me. And uh, he said, I'm so glad to see you, John. Do you remember what you said to me 12 years ago? And apparently I'd said something to him that he heard utterly prophetic. I hadn't a clue what it was I'd said. And sometimes they are the best type of prophecies, if I may say so. And it had shaped and changed his life by one sentence in one particular context that I was 
totally unaware of. God can change people. And you're in touch with people and I'm in touch with people and they're different people, but God can change them. It does take a time, by the way. So it won't all happen yesterday. It does happen miraculously. Think about it. I stood at Canetra looking down to present-day Damascus on the Golden Heights when you could get that near. I remembered that perhaps one of the most famous Christians, if not the most famous Christian, had been bitterly, bitterly antagonistic to Jesus. And then he met Jesus. Jesus met him. Jesus became really incarnate again, though he'd been resurrected from the dead. I remember speaking to a couple of uh, Muslim terrorists in Nigeria when I was doing my doctoral research, not imams, but terrorists, had found their way to Isa, and their lives have been transformed. I'm praying for that. I'm already praying for that 18-year-old lad who dumped that bomb on the train. That somewhere down the line, someone will put him in touch with Isa, who can change him. Fifthly, Jesus was courageous. I'd never seen this. Many, many years ago, I was on sabbatical in the States at one of the theological colleges, and I was asked to teach uh, um, in the term Luke's Gospel in the English text. I certainly couldn't do it in the Greek text. And I discovered right at the heart, and you might even want to, you can just listen, but you can look it up later. You might just want to hear this, because I want to say something about Jesus, that I think, if you're going to be godlike, will need to be true for you and for me. In Luke chapter 9, verse 51, it says, As the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, or as the King James Version has it, if I remember correctly, for his exodus, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. Have you ever stopped to think that Jesus knew when he began his ministry how it was going to end? Have you stopped to think about that? For three years he ministered, knowing very well that they were out to get him and that they would get him in, in a human sense. Of course, we know in the divine sense he was coming to offer himself as a sacrifice. And leaving his fan base up in Galilee, he resolutely sets his face to go down to Jerusalem, where he was obviously, we know, he was going to die ultimately. The Judeans did not like Jesus. Mind you, the Judeans didn't like the uh, folk from Galilee. In fact, the Judeans didn't like very many people at all, but that's another story. The Greek is so powerful, and I don't want to get locked into Greek. It talks about resolutely, determinedly, knowing the cost. He still set his mind to do something courageous. And I'm struck, though again I mustn't be sidetracked, by the fact that courage and the Holy Spirit are very similar in Greek words. Courage, 
very much like comforter, very much like parakletos, someone coming alongside with strength. And Jesus was courageous. He knew what he was letting him himself Listen, I don't know whether you've ever been yet asked to do something brave or courageous. Being part of the family of God and being in love with Jesus and following him will (coughs) ask you on occasions to be very brave. And I've seen a good deal of that myself and could illustrate that. Sixthly, what do you get angry about? Because I just want to just refer tangentially as I get to my last point about the fact that Jesus got really angry and threw them out of the temple. I wish my anger was always righteous. I'm fairly phlegmatic temperamentally. My wife will tell you that she's only ever seen me angry on two occasions, and both occasions were terrifying, she says. One of them was little boy that hadn't been tamed in me, totally guilty as charged, my lord. The other occasion was genuinely angry because God would have been angry about that situation. The things that you get angry about, two different Greek words, which are quite interesting, about the anger of God, but also about our anger. But the anger, the things that you get angry about will tell you something quite profoundly about yourself. And anger, if it's handled in the right way, can be an incredibly constructive emotion. It doesn't need to be exploded out on people. It can be used in all sorts of other ways. But I digress. Time has gone, nearly. We need to be incarnate if we're to be godly. We need to be obedient to the Father. We need to model servanthood. We need to be visionary. We need to be courageous. We need to be people who are angry about the right things. But listen, and I hope I'm not stealing thunder of all the people who are to follow me. I'm going to be away anyway, so I shall miss. I shall miss. Well, I'll catch you up later online. I always listen to the sermons, especially when I've been away. And I shall be away shortly, as you know. But if Jesus lives in you and lives in me, and no doubt people who follow me, if they pick up some of these other characteristics, will possibly refer to this, but I think I'll refer to it as I finish. Is Galatians 5 always immediately comes to mind. Because it's a fascinating, fascinating section from the scripture because it's talking about what happens when you walk in the spirit. It's also actually talking about what happens when you walk in the flesh. And you can go and read Galatians 5 uh, when you get home. It's fairly... Dreek, I would say, at the very least, it's actually really dark and frightening what actually happens when the human nature is given scope. But when the nature is controlled by the Spirit of God, and there are two different words in uh, in chapter 5 for the Christian walking about, one is walking individually and one is about walking as a group. When we actually walk in the Spirit, then... We fulfill, of course, God's will, 
But we then actually demonstrate what the character of God is like, don't we? If you want another way of thinking about godly, listen to this, and with this I'm just come to a conclusion. But the fruit of the Spirit, and please, fruit, singular word, right? Not a plural word. It's not the fruits of the Spirit. It is in Greek one word, fruit. So you don't have a choice in saying, I'll pick three out of these. You've, you've got to excel in all of these. And listen, the only way to excel is to allow the Spirit of God to dwell in you and to live through you. And when he does, his, his godliness illustrated. Now, Paul didn't know the word Eusebia. Well, I, don't, I presume he did know the word, but he never used it. I'm still puzzled by that. That's my homework. The fruit of the Spirit is... Come on, you know this. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions, desires. Since we live, and that is walk around on our own. That's the Greek word, to walk on our own. Since we live in the King James, walk. Since we walk or live in the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. One of the prayers I pray for myself and for you all, and we pray regularly. I still wish that we've broken up the contact list so you get prayed for depending on where you are in in the diary at least once a month and in many cases more often. I pray that you will learn and that I will learn what it is to walk in the Spirit. Because that's the only way. I can talk, I can eulogize godliness and can tell tell you all sorts of other theological truths about it, but if you're going to be a person who's incarnate, who's obedient to the Father, who models servanthood in whatever way that means to you, as a visionary person, Brave and courageous. Angry about the right things. Then you, the only, the only key I know, and uh, I've no doubt I shall preach on this again until my dying day, the only key I know is walking in the Spirit. Because I will let you into a secret that is very profound and so simple. That God's Spirit knows how to do God's will. Right? It's as simple as that. Your spirit doesn't, and mine doesn't. You are called to godliness. Richard.